0: man before you we record uh i got something to tell you about lola like you know lola your cat right yeah 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 so the other day i tried to feed him like an hour before midnight and she starts flipping out and then she accidentally knocks into her water bowl and like these fuzzy things pop out of her back and then she cocooned herself hey uh one
1: second i think someone's at the door.
0: Never mind, just carolers. I don't know. Well, uh, I think my Christmas tree just fell down, and I'm just hearing this scampering throughout. I'm sure it'll be fine. You know what? Let's just record. Let's just get this over with. So anyway, (laughs) welcome to Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast. (laughs) I'm your host, Derek, with a long, drawn-out introduction, and you are listening to our Christmas episode for this fucking god awful 2020 year the final episode of this god awful year (laughs) yeah Christ if this is your first time listening to us we are a horror movie podcast in which myself the coward and my co-host Aaron who you've just heard uh, who's the movie monster boy fanatic talk about horror movies and discuss fears phobias cultural relevance and all kinds of stuff and just how scary these movies are for people like me and just how good they are for people like Aaron yeah so with that it's just us two no guests this time uh it's been a little while since we did that we we've been getting a lot of guests on lately
1: haven't we (laughs) yeah i mean that's fine though we like having guests on so yeah no no we love it sometimes it it is nice to just like sit back and it just be the two of us yeah 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 exactly so with that we like to go
0: straight into other horror recommendations outside the movie we're covering and uh hopes that we can recommend something to each other and you our audience can possibly check out any of our horror recommendations so with that what have you been getting into horror related lately
1: so i only have one recommendation for this episode this is kind of the busy time of year for me for work just uh, life this year and schedules and everything else it's been a shit show as we all know so I only have one thing, and it is really only tangentially horror, although I think some people would probably argue that it is full horror, as I have definitely heard some people posit before. So I've had this movie. I've owned a copy of it. It has been sitting in front of the TV for months, and it's a movie that has been out for a while that I'm just now getting around to, which is wild because I love this director, and I love everything that this director has done, and I have watched stuff From this director that has come out after this movie. And I'm just now catching up to it. But I finally fucking watched The Killing of a Sacred Deer by Yorgos Lanthimos.
0: I thought you had seen it. Since we
1: started this podcast, I thought you had seen it. Nope. I love all of his other movies, but that is the one that I have still not seen yet. But we finally sat down and watched it last night. And it's fucking wild. It is surreal. It is full of just dread and anxiety and literally like all the way into the credits i was just like what the fuck is going on what did i just watch what is happening it was the most just truly surreal and unsettling fucking movie i have seen in a long time like it very much reminded me of david lynch just that kind of quality of dreamlike logic and where the fuck is this going and and so many other little nitpicky things that most likes to do. Like a lot of character tics that they have. All the characters have a very flat affectation and way of delivering dialogue that's very frank and weird. To the point where Heather and I both looked at each other and just were kind of like, Is everybody in this movie like on the spectrum to some degree or another? Everything was just played so kind of flat and frank It's Colin Farrell playing a heart surgeon and his wife is Nicole Kidman and they have these two kids and kind of this perfect happy life. And then Barry Kagan, he's the kid in Dunkirk... Um, and he was about to be, I think, the villain in The Eternals, which is one of the Marvel movies that was supposed to come out last month before pandemic happened. He is this teenager who is involved with Colin Farrell, dot, 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 and you don't really find out what is going on with them and why, like, they have this relationship and they know each other and, like, what the fuck is happening until, like, at least halfway through the movie. Maybe more. Maybe like two-thirds of the way through the movie before you really kind of put everything together about what's happening. But it starts to spiral off in a very surreal way from there. And it 1,000% has a horror movie score. The music in it is just so unsettling and so cacophonous and so punctuating in a way that's just like walking around the corner of your house and getting hit with a fucking axe in the face. The performances are amazing uh, across the board. And that's one thing about all of Lanthimos' movies is that the performances across the board are always solid. Colin Farrell is really great in it. Nicole Kidman is really great in it. Barry Kagan steals this fucking movie. He is so fucking punchable. (laughs) He just has... like. Like, one of those faces that you just want to, like, bust him with a baseball bat in the face. Like a wrestling heel. Yeah. Yeah. And he is just so... Oh, God. Like, he is the epitome of an annoying teenager who just says wild shit that, like, where is this coming from? And he's kind of, sort of, stalking Colin Farrell, and that's really all I want to say, because I went into this movie knowing, kind of, what the hype was, and knowing that, like, this is an A24 artsy-fartsy movie that was, kind of, marketed as this psychological drama, but is Really a fucking horror movie under the surface? Funny enough, while the disc was starting up, it was playing previews for other A24 movies. And there was a preview for It Comes at Night, which... I stopped and watched it and yeah that preview makes that movie look like a horror movie and everything I've heard about it ostensibly is like yeah no there's no horror in that movie it is a drama straight up and yet this movie is the most unsettling fucking thing I've watched in a long time and I think even more so because it's set in real life there is no supernatural like anything to it it's just wild I also found out afterward thanks to Heather because we were both just just like, what did we just watch? <laughs> it is based on a Euripides story, which makes more sense. After the fact, but I really had no fucking clue what I was watching. I loved it. I I really, really liked it. I'm glad to hear that. I'm still sitting with it. I'm still, like, digesting it and thinking about it. And it's a movie that I think I will appreciate that much more when I go back to it. Like a lot of Lanthimosas movies, I'm kind of dumbstruck by it now after the first viewing. But going back to it later, I'm sure there's so much weird humor in it that's just going to make me, like, laugh my ass off. I mean, Dogtooth is that way, The Lobster is that way, The Favorite is that way. You know, you are just kind of left awestruck at the end, but if you go back and watch them, you start to pick up on all these little weird bits of humor that just really cynically kind of make you laugh through the entire thing. Yeah,
0: I'm glad that you enjoyed it, because I remember when we were putting together this podcast, you know, it, the first thing Aaron and I did was we sat down and kind of made a list. And there are even some movies that are still on that list that we just haven't gotten to yet because it wasn't the right time or for whatever ever multitude reasons that we put on there like two years ago when we first started the show well one of the things i I'd, I'd brought up to you was killing of a sacred deer and for some reason this whole time i thought you had seen it but you were kind of reluctant to do it the only way the only thing you would describe to me was that it was horror adjacent you weren't quite sure if it fit in with our show or if we needed to do just some straight up horror movies first and then we can't kind of also go into horror adjacent i think
1: where we might have gotten wires crossed was i told you i hadn't seen it at the time, but that I had yeah, heard I'm... that it was horror adjacent, so I I wanted to watch it for myself to see how well I think it would fit for this show.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you found it very interesting, because I have been curious about that movie since we began this show, just from, like, the brief preview I've seen of it, and the images I've seen of it. The art direction alone like looks appealing to me.
1: Yeah, and so much of this movie is set in hospitals, and I think I've mentioned on this show before, but I hate hospitals hospitals i can't stand hospitals i hate being in hospitals i hate being in clinics there's just something so sterile. overwhelmingly anxiety inducing in me yeah it, it, part of it is the sterile nature of it part of it is the fluorescent lighting part of it is so many weird open empty hallways and rooms and areas of hospitals often the smells the air, like everything about being in a hospital, I can't stand. I yeah. hate that plastic medical smell. The color palettes in hospitals is just so overwhelmingly drab and depressing. Like I hate being in a hospital or a clinic, and this movie just has so much of that anxiety packed into it.
0: You never realize how sterile feeling, or even just how like unsettlingly bright a hospital is until you are in there. If you haven't looked. Listened- listen to our past episodes I used to be a night shift nurse uh, worked in a pediatric ICU and if you haven't walked the halls of a hallway at like one or two in the morning I mean hopefully you're never in that position where you would have to but <laughs> yeah. if you do it feels even more haunting and more empty than the way Manziel described it and you just never realize how like unsettlingly bright from that fluorescent lighting and the sterility of the whole hospital feels until you do it at night when like it's even more dead from. Lack of better terms than normal, but that's the thing that's so naturally creepy about a hospital is it's creepy and all the lights are on. Like when yeah. you think of traditional like horror settings, you think of like oh a, a spooky house with the electricity's off and like no, the hospital is scary when it's like fucking lit up. But the light it kind of plays on you. It's in, it turns into this unsettling thing instead of this thing of comfort,
1: and that's certainly a thing in this movie too. Like it is a horror movie that is mostly set in in daytime and just brightly lit places. Like, this isn't a horror movie that takes place in a lot of darkness. And it's just that much more, like, offsetting, I guess, from what your expectations are. So, that's the thing. Like, I would not go into it explicitly looking for horror. But the stuff that happens in the movie is so unsettling and so anxiety and dread-inducing that I would a thousand percent recommend it to people who, like, want to maybe watch something that doesn't have a ton of explicit violence or like supernatural shit or whatever. Like it is just so fucking dread inducing. And I I loved it. I definitely loved
0: it. Well, and one last thing I wanted to go on based off of that idea of a hospital setting and just how it can enhance horror change horror in my opinion. And it's, it's actually in in one of the movies I haven't watched yet in this franchise, but I've seen this clip and it's fucking scary. I think the scariest part of the, any of the exorcist movies, (laughs) yeah, not even in the first movie. It's, that it's not in the first scene. movie. Yeah, yeah. It's the third movie in the hallway scene. I mean, they make the hospital feel a little creepier in the movie, but still, it's pretty lit up. And just like the idea of walking out of a room and going towards the nursing station, which is something I used to do hundreds of times in like a week. And, and just and that idea just of like something oops. coming yeah. after you, yeah, <laughs> out in the middle of the open, and you are totally unaware. Like I highly suggest looking up the clip. I'm sure you could just type in, exorcist 3 jump scare and it's like the top result because it is like one of the scariest jump scares to me i've seen in any movie and i am excited for us to eventually do exorcist 3 i know i'm going on a little bit of a tangent but aaron this is something that i've been thinking about since we even did like halloween 3 is the third movie just always like the experimental weird one that at first is panned and then like after like years have gone by people go back to it and be like hey this movie's
1: actually pretty fucking good that happens in a lot of cases or at least, not necessarily good, but at least wild. Yep. They went in crazy directions trying to figure out something new or a different angle. You know, I love Halloween 3. I will definitely go to the mat for Poltergeist 3. Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw, is a pretty wild reinvention. Nightmare on Elm Street, certainly. Dream Warriors is the fan favorite of that franchise for the most part. Hellraiser 3 is bad, but it's at least entertaining. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of a weird thing. I I love Exorcist 3. Exorcist 3 is fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, there might be something to that all said and done. Just like, okay, we tried to recapture a lot of the magic with the second movie, and turns out we just did a lot of the same shit that the first movie already covered. So, yeah, let's go in a completely different direction for movie 3. And it ends up, a lot of times, being like wild and weird in kind of that unique way. So, yeah, I'm excited to get around to a couple of those now that we're, like, talking about them. But yeah, that's that's all I've got for this episode as far as recommendations go, so I will throw it to you.
0: Yeah, um, so actually, probably for, like, one of the first times ever, I actually have my own movie recommendation that isn't the movie we're tackling on this episode. It is a Netflix horror movie. Came out in 2019, directed by David Marmer, and this is actually his directorial debut. It is called One BR. Okay. Uh, that's the abbreviation for You know, listing of a one bedroom apartment. It's kind of amazing how it came together. When I was watching through it, I felt a lot of the passion that was put into this. Some of the cast is recognizable. You have like Naomi Grossman, who I think she was in okay. a couple seasons of American Horror Story. She's been in a lot of stuff. She's actually uh, a main role in something called control All delete right now. You have Alan Blumenfeld, who's just been in a fuck ton of stuff. He He's very much a character actor. He plays the role of the father in this. Probably the person that I recognized the most was Taylor Nick. Nichols who plays Jerry the manager of the apartments that this movie takes place in he was definitely the face I recognize I know I've seen him in stuff and he's another character actor that's been in a bunch of stuff but the thing that was really cool is one of the the lead is actually played by an actress who had like bit parts and tv shows and shorts here and there but this seems to be at least from what I could gather on her IMDB her first starring role and her name is Nicole Beard and Bloom okay she knocks it out of the park in this movie uh actually one of the things that that I clicked with with this movie was that she portrays somebody who has mental illness and it's not necessarily anything that's played up in the movie there's just you know one or two throwaway scenes where she's like trying to get her Zoloft prescription refilled and like you can tell like she's had a troubled past with her strange father she's had anxiety or, or depression or both like she's just kind of dealing with that kind of maybe has a little bit of social anxiety kind of thing and social anxiety is what really nails the horror in this movie it has a couple jump scares but nothing is super like intense and the jump scares that happen are very well earned. Going back to Killing of a Sacred Deer I feel like if Killing of a Sacred Deer is right at the fence of horror and it's just more horror adjacent I'd say 1BR is just over the fence. Okay, Strictly a horror movie but it very much lives in the psychological and the disturbing rather than just the jump scares and intensity. Granted there's a lot of intense shit in this movie but the idea of social anxiety of like just moving to a new place where everyone is super friendly and then it just slowly turns out to be too good to be true sure. until it's like straight cult horror like cult like activity this is a cult like community and I'm not giving anything away because this is like within, you find this stuff out like within 20 minutes it's in the plot synopsis if you read it but to get from point A to point B is a lot of fun and more than most other movies that we've even covered on this show this movie really felt like it had three acts to it the first act is her moving in the second act is like the cult indoctrination which is probably like some some of the most intense and scariest parts of this movie and then the third is like what happens as a result of all this and when all the puzzle pieces come together and shit gets wild i would say that if you wanted to have a great double feature that are both horror movies that deal with cult-like activity in the la area i would say pair this with the invitation which we did the invitation earlier this sure. year they both tonally had some similarities but the thing that i like about 1br that sets it apart is 1br focuses a lot more on your community. Community turning against you rather than like your personal relationships like your friends and family turning against you because the way they set up this idyllic apartment community actually like I went into it wondering like how the hell are you going to make downtown LA giant apartment complex scary like you're in the middle of LA tons of people around you at all times it does such a good job of making you feel like you're secluded within the gates of this one apartment complex even though LA is like literally like feet outside of your window but you're still trapped the horrors that are in this beyond like social anxiety my absolute jammer jam of an idyllic community having a dark underbelly which I know I brought up millions of times on this show it also deals with a little bit of like kind of torture horror but the thing I really enjoyed is it didn't go straight into like saw level like torture porn it did just enough of it to really make you feel unsettled and kind of squirmy and it pulled back at the right time I felt like gotcha if blood rage is a movie that is very genuine but kind of falls flat on its face even though it's trying to be genuine I feel like this movie has that kind of same creative energy of like it's trying to be very genuine but it's like everyone worked well together it all came together they all had a vision they all capitalized on that vision they all worked their asses off it's much more competent than most indie horror or this might be one of the best directorial debuts that I've seen of any movie but you know Aaron I I think you should go like watch this movie it's only 90 minutes long it's a quick watch I actually watched it either yesterday or the day before It's Been sitting with me since then. Thumbs up. It doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it definitely does all the right things with the tropes and genre it's tackling. Cool. Second thing I wanted to bring up was that I've been kind of going through my comic collection because I'm downsizing a lot on it, and I'm just reorganizing and then kind of separating the stuff I'm not going to keep and the stuff I am going to keep. I might have brought up this recommendation way back in like one of our first episodes. I don't remember if I did or not, but I felt like I wanted to bring it back up because I discovered. I'd still had the comics for this series it's called The Unsound and it's by our buddy Colin Bunn you guessed it <laughs> Colin Bunn it is very much surreal horror is the best way to describe it like surreal fantasy psychological horror kind of like all mashed up into one the story is basically follows this nurse who I think is even like right out out of nursing school and she starts her first day at a psychiatric hospital and it turns into like this just giant strange supernatural conspiracy and it kind of tackles a lot of the themes of mental illness but it also goes into fucking wild there's a patient that's just always hidden behind like a makeshift mask and the mask is made out of a plastic plate um, and has like a crudely drawn face on it and like it turns into like this whole thing where they like her and a group of the inmates and her fellow staff have to like escape through the asylum itself like going into the bowels of it like kind of almost traveling through hell or like this Lovecraftian kind of like surreal like color out of space sort of like world and it just goes fucking nutso. Colin Bunn's really kind of flexing his horror muscles, I think, on this, because this is like right in the middle of when he was putting out a, a few horror things. I think he actually even wrote this like when he was finishing up Harrow County. Okay. And I think he has other series that start with UN, like Unsound, but on something else. And I haven't read any of those other ones, but I did read Unsound and because I was a nurse and I just dug the fucking premise of it and it's great. I think it's only five or six issues You can get it as a trade paperback pretty easily nowadays. I'm keeping the five or six issues for sure because I want to go back and read through it. The art is great. I think the artist is Jack T. Cole. So I just wanted to throw in that second little quick recommendation before we get into the movie we're
1: doing today. Well, it's Christmas time. So of course, we have to do a Christmas movie. Gotta do it. So (laughs) we chose this one this year. And you know, maybe I'm speaking more for myself, but... This has been a weird year. This has been a weird fucked up year. You're not speaking for yourself. It's been weird. And yeah, we could basically just say, like, all holiday Christmas horror is about Christmases that go bad. But this movie, I think specifically, hits a weird level of just sarcasm for the holiday season the trappings of the season are like all around this movie there is like a great love for the holiday season but it's also just in full fucking sarcasm smartass mode making fun of like how bullshit so much of it is yes and for this year the trappings of the season are like mostly non-existent families can't or at least like families shouldn't be getting together everyone except the fucking like crooks at the top of society right now are strapped and paranoid about spending money idealistically you know maybe this is the year that we all finally reflect on what's actually important during the holiday season
0: oh you're way too optimistic for that (laughs) but which is
1: spending time with family and being generous to each other in more meaning ways than just gifts You know, maybe this is the year that makes us all realize, hey, we need to fucking tone down Christmas going forward. And this movie is specifically just about how Christmas is a great time. You know, all the things that happen in this movie that are like the genuine, like families getting together and cooking and spending time with each other and all that kind of stuff is great. And you care about these characters. You care about this little weird town. But this movie also shows... Shows like oh by the way there are literally families that are like about to get evicted from their house and their kids are starving oh by the way like there's terrible people that live in this town and everything's falling apart the movie definitely shows there's a lot of weird bullshit under the surface of the holiday season that we just have to put up with for the sake of the season and that's part of the reason why we chose this one this year because like it's very apt for the bullshit that we're dealing with right now and at least in my opinion
0: well the other thing is, too, because uh, I, I really like what you said about it kind of being sarcastic about it. But it, here's the thing about that. Like you said, there are moments where it's very genuine and it's almost like straight up just capturing the Christmas spirit. It's kind of one of those things of like, for instance, me and you, we don't like Superman normally as a character. But I think you and I both understand and respect why he's so important to the history of comic books. And there are moments where I feel like this movie does that for Christmas and honoring like a, a lot of stuff that makes Christmas actually a special time of the year for everybody. On sure. or, or most people but then it goes into a lot of sarcasm like you said but then it goes straight into like the bitterness as well it goes beyond sarcasm at certain points of the movie which you know i'll touch on as we talk more in-depthly about like what happens in the actual movie i forgot how fucking dark this movie can get It can yeah and just like the tonal shifts in this movie are kind of insane but it works and it feels like it was competently put together despite these highly highly crazy tonal shifts from one scene to another. But yeah, tongue-in-cheek look at Christmas with a lot of genuine
1: attitude behind that is kind of a good way to describe it. Yeah. It's interesting to see how the movie balances tone because it completely supports the whole idea that there is like this love-hate relationship with the holiday and it's pretty fucking incredible how this movie balances tone. I mean Joe Dante has that level of love and nostalgia but also still some cynicism and sarcasm. In pretty much all of his movies, Spielberg has touches of that from time to time, and and there's just something about the two of them coming together to get this movie made, and Dante like having the freedom to do a lot of the weird, wild shit in this movie, but also still keep in levels of darkness that you know, it, notoriously enough now, like this movie is one of the movies that directly led to the creation of the PG-13 rating because it was just a bit too dark and a bit too violent for kids with that pg rating i couldn't
0: narrow it down is this the movie responsible for it or was it
1: this movie plus other movies okay it's one of yeah. so in a nutshell i guess while we're on that topic in general this movie and indiana jones and temple of doom are kind of considered to be like the direct reason why The PG-13 rating was created. They both came out the same summer. Thanks, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, and obviously Spielberg (laughs) produced both. He directed Temple of Doom, obviously. Gremlins was actually the first feature done under Amblin Entertainment, which was his production studio. So, as we know, I mean, he was juggling lots of plates during the 80s and producing just as much as he was directing. Crazy enough, too, Ghostbusters came out the same day as Gremlins. Oh my god, really? Yeah, and Ghostbusters, imagine seeing a fucking double feature of both of these. Jesus Christ. I would have blown my mind away. And like not knowing what to expect in 84. Yeah. Ghostbusters is also kind of on the edges of that conversation because it's a PG horror movie. But I think because it had adult comedians in it, it was kind of understood to be for a more teenage to adult audience. Even though tons of kids went and saw fucking Ghostbusters. (laughs) Is the ghost blowjob scene in the theatrical cut? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> dan Aykroyd gets a ghost blowjob never forget yes yeah by the way you let the cat out of the bag we're doing gremlins by the way oh yeah yeah we're doing gremlins if you haven't figured it
0: out so all right <laughs> because we're fucking professionals now in this podcast game you can cut it in your little trailer thing here aaron we're doing 1984 is so joe dante directed steven spielberg produced comedy horror christmas classic
2: gremlins steven spielberg presents gremlins Billy Pelser has a nice home Billy, is that you? Yeah, Mom, it's me A nice job A nice girl If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to And loving parents Who are about to give him You're gonna like this No, 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 don't shake it <laughs> We're gonna have to open it now, it won't wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift he ever got. What is it? It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. It's They become clever, mischievous.
3: What's going on here?
2: And dangerous. Reminds, huh? Little monsters. Right. Well, I I don't know, maybe 1000s we They've been here, too. Billy, what are these things? Where do they come from? Look, I know it sounds crazy, I know, but in a few hours, you're gonna have a major disaster on your hands. Grandmones, directed
1: by Joe Dante.
2: They'll be expecting You.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay, back to the conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Merry Christmas, fuckers. (laughs) Yeah, Ghostbusters is kind of in that conversation as well. But what's wild to me, and I I didn't realize it happened this quickly, I thought that PG-13 came like a whole year later or some shit. No, Red Dawn came out in August of this same year, and it's the first movie to have a PG-13 rating. Like, I didn't realize it happened that fucking quick. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, like, this movie, it's interesting how it balances tone because, you know, you have these scenes where, like, Billy's running through the town square and it's happy and cheerful and he's saying hey to people, but then you literally find out in that same exact scene, oh yeah, there's lots of people in town who are like out of work or about to be evicted or they're like kids are starving, right? Yeah, I completely forgot about Miss Deagle until her death. Her death in this movie is
0: like one of the things that sticks out in my mind as like something I saw as a kid. Yeah,
1: that fucking like chair getting shot out of the window. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, you have this weird level of like class warfare running through the movie and honestly like as much of a perfect movie as I think Gremlins is, I don't think that that specific element really goes anywhere at the end. No, it doesn't. Yes, Miss Deagle gets her comeuppance, but it's not like we cut back to that woman and her children who are like about to be evicted because Miss Deagle is an awful, awful hag. They're pretty much
0: the 80s version of the family from A Christmas Carol. Yeah. The guy who works under Ebenezer Scrooge, like, they even have the kid coughing. And, like, it's so played over the top. of That's Tiny Tim, basically. Yeah.
1: But, like, we never cut back to that family to find out what happens to them. For all we know, they're fucking dead. Gremlins killed them?
0: I don't know. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, we don't ever find out what happened to them. So that's one of the things that I think the movie kind of tees up, but doesn't really go anywhere with. And it is just kind of one of those things that, like, leaves kind of a weird pallor of darkness over the movie. You know, there's other stuff like the Inventor Father randall whose inventions are all just terrible malfunctioning dog shit everybody just being so like inconvenienced and overworked or like bothered by specifically like the requirements of the holiday christmas is a pain in the ass and that is like brought out in this movie in various ways like the mom lynn has got the entire kitchen torn up just because she's like making fucking cookies because you have to have gingerbread man cookies at christmas time fucking little pete dressed up like a tree trying to drag the fucking Pelzer's tree in through the front door and like struggling with it like there's just so many weird moments where like the movie has that sarcastic tongue-in-cheek look at how much of a pain in the ass Christmas is but I don't think that the movie ever really tilts into full-blown cynicism because of the humble and wholesome central characters in the movie and frankly the fucking lovable gizmo this movie has a very cute dog whose name in real life is Mushroom.
0: That's a good dog name. It's <laughs> a good dog name, yeah.
1: But Gizmo is iconic. Gizmo is like the most cute weird animal thing from movies.
0: He's Pikachu before Pokemon was a thing. A
1: thousand percent. A thousand Furby's percent. Furbies
0: are literally just probably rip-offs of Gizmo oh, yeah. and Mogwai oh,
1: yeah. in general. Not only did this movie spawn a ton of imitator movies like, just right off the top of my head, fucking Critters, Ghoulies, fucking Munchies, hobbies. Goblins, like all of these, are completely just cashing in on this gremlin's wave and. There was so much merchandising for this movie. There were so many toys. There were so many products. This was kind of one of those movies that benefited from that. Like, Star Wars walked, ran, jumped over the fucking fence in one leap. So that this movie could also, like, drive the car down the street, basically. yeah. It's just kind of one of those wild... This movie was such a huge phenomenon. And even though this movie came out a couple of years before I was born, I still, as a very young child, remember seeing seeing gremlins like stuff just still around and still seeing like gremlins themes yeah. in stores for a while and yeah and not just like, super nostalgic oh yeah we have these expensive collectibles aimed at arrested development youth like me who were like oh yeah cool the 80s the 90s love it there was still gremlins shit out and about and that might be yeah. because of gremlins 2 i don't think so because gremlins 2 like didn't get as much marketing right yeah so much gremlin shit. There was
0: so much shit still out in like Toys R Us in like 1996. I remember walking around a Toys R Us around 96, 97, and seeing gremlin shit. In fact, when furbies first came out, I thought for the longest time as a kid until someone actually corrected me that oh, these are Mugwais. This is part of the Gremlins marketing. They're just naming them furbies to make it more accessible for young kids, like really young yeah. kids. And they weren't. I, and I was kind of blown away when I realized like Furbies aren't Mugwai. They just basically are Mugwai. Something else like I kind of wanted to touch on kind of up top just because I feel like it should be brought up and before you and I just get into our gush fest because we both fucking adore this movie. There was a controversy with this movie and I didn't even know about it until I kind of did a little bit of research for this episode. The movie has been accused of being culturally insensitive. When I read that I thought Asian culture. Sure yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I actually read into it there were a couple people who actually criticized the movie Uh, even in the 90s were criticized the movie for being culturally insensitive to African-Americans, specifically African-Americans, like young African-Americans in the style at the time, due to the gremlins being stereotypes of that. And they specifically always talk about the scene when they're eating chicken and the scene where they're in the bar, like that whole bar scene with all the gremlins in it and some of the stuff they do in that. Yeah. So if you do want to read up more on that, feel free to. I think there's a whole little bit in the Wikipedia article for gremlins, but I think you can also just Google it. There's some write-ups about it you could probably find the Asian stereotyping that was something that I kind of was going into the movie expecting to feel most dated about and more just felt like he walked onto the set of Chinatown or like Big Trouble in Little China Yeah. but that character the actual character of Mr. Wing is pretty well handled-ish I feel like he might be a little bit of like a caricature but I don't know what what was your thought about that? Okay,
1: I think that the character is a character Certainly. That said, Key Luke, who plays Mr. Wing, has been in movies since the fucking dawn of movies. Like, he was in his 80s when they filmed this movie, and they still had to, like, make him look older through makeup and shit. Wow. He has 225 credits. He has, like, literally been in movies since the early 30s. Yeah, I'm looking up at his
0: filmography now. He was born in 1904 in China. Holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: So again, he would have been like 79, 80 when they made this movie. He was in lots of TV. He's done lots of voice acting. He's number one son in the Charlie Chan movies, which the Charlie Chan movies are one of those weird, yes, it is absolutely racist and it's a caricature thing and it's yellow face and all that. You know, it is definitely like a product of its time, certainly. And we can look at it as like this weird artifact. And, you know, it is what it is. But I think people like Spielberg and Dante and the cat, had so much just genuine admiration for him as an actor and respect for him as an actor. You know, he came on to do this role and he did what he felt like he needed to do. From the standpoint that like he doesn't play it as stereotype. He doesn't right. play it as like really super heightened. You know, most of his dialogue is improvised. You know, it's just like shit that he and like the rest of the cast were just kind of like throwing out, especially in that whole last scene where he shows back up. I would venture to say that although the character is a caricature, I don't feel like he plays it that way because mm, trying to think of like the best way to say this
0: so I think that what you're trying to say is like because this is how I felt I
1: don't feel like anybody pushed him to play it up yeah I don't feel like anybody would have expected that from him I don't feel like anybody would have pushed him to do that I don't feel like Joe Dante would have been like hey can you be more Asian? You yeah, know, like I don't feel like anybody would have pushed him to make it heightened. If anything is a caricature, to me, at least in the beginning of the film,
0: it's actually his shop and maybe like a little bit of his like makeup, but him actually acting and the way he portrays the character seemed genuine. And like I mean, if we want to look at it that way, like this whole movie is an exaggeration. It's one big exaggeration. Yeah. And his shop in Chinatown fits in with kind of that exaggeration of the rest of the movie, I feel like. And something that's kind of an aside, real quick. As of 2019, and even this year, Warner Brothers has greenlit a prequel called Gremlins: Secrets of the Mogwai, in which Mr. Wing is going to be the main character, and it's actually going to follow him in like the 1920s as like a young man or a kid, and like I guess encountering Gizmo or encountering the Mogwai for the first time and dealing with Gremlins. Uh, So I thought that was interesting. It's going to be on HBO Max apparently, and I I think it's actually going to be—it'll be an animated show as well.
1: I did see where last year, apparently, Warner Brothers fully got their hands on the franchise rights and literally trademarked the word gremlin.
0: I read that Joe Dante is going to be a, like cr- at least a creative consultant, probably a producer
1: on that show as well. So Okay, sure. So at least they're not completely shutting him out.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I-, I just wanted to bring that up up top, just maybe even as a trigger warning for some of our listeners. So just be aware of that going into the movie. We've probably tackled other movies on our podcast that were far more prominent problematic about certain things but it is something i feel needs to be brought up you know you can love something and still criticize it under the modern lens so yeah did you have any other final thoughts about that
1: uh not really like i don't think i've ever heard criticism of the gremlins being black stereotypes that's interesting
0: yeah i didn't know about it either
1: until i was researching some stuff about yeah, this movie this is probably like white blinders on but yeah you and i are two white <laughs> i just always assumed like oh yeah they're just bad little <laughs> monsters i I never yeah. thought about them in any other connotation besides that necessarily yeah
0: and i am glad i looked it up and saw that because that was like i said that was a connotation i would have never even thought of but again you and i are like two you know middle class white guys so yeah yeah could be blinders but you know i still think kremlins is a fantastic movie either way before you actually get into the production one last thing i wanted to say because you know me i gotta throw out my hot takes here and there speaking of our buddy steven spielberg and <laughs> you're gonna get be so much shit for this heron gremlins is steven spielberg's best movie and he didn't even fucking direct it and that is even over jurassic park yet
1: again buddy boom get the fuck out of here so on that note (laughs) serious talk though as as we discussed on our poltergeist episode and this is something that i kind of take issue with a little bit because i love toby hooper and i love horror right yeah Spielberg executive produced this movie, he got the script from Chris Columbus, like he's the one that kind of shepherded this movie into production, he's the one that handed it to Joe Dante and said, hey, I want you to direct this, right? No one ever gives this movie or Back to the Future, which is the fucking next year, right? And he did the same exact thing with it and Zemeckis and pushed the whole thing through. And, like, it has so much of his personality and stamp on it. Nobody gives either of those movies the same fucking shade that they do with Poltergeist. As far as who actually directed this movie, blah, 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 whatever, you know? So, yeah, there is Spielberg all over this movie. And not just him plugging his own fucking movies, (laughs) Indiana Jones and E.T. and everything. Everything else, there's just a lot of Spielberg vibes in this because he was the executive producer and his company was the one making this movie, you know? So it's understandable, just like with Poltergeist and Back to the Future. Same fucking thing.
0: We'll return to Back to the Future for a, w- a weird aside, but I'll, I'll bring it up later. Yeah,
1: yeah, And I, I might mention it in just a second here. So the term gremlins originated with RAF pilots during World War II, and they would basically just blame malfunctions and shit breaking on their planes on these mischievous creatures, right?
0: Yeah, I think, like, imps, because I I read up a little more on, like, a folklore, and it's kind of crazy that that folklore really kind of just started in the 1900s. Yeah. Like, in terms of folklore around the world, this is a pretty
1: modern folklore. Well, you gotta think it's all tied to mechanization. It's all tied to, like, modern machinery and electronics and that kind of thing. It still has that touch of
0: ancient folklore though like imp like creatures goblins fairies like that you know are mischievous and cause things to go bad and go wrong and and just cause a lot of mischief and then it, it updates it and like gremlins basically are just goblins like they're all just mischievous imp goblins but it's interesting that term I didn't know that until a couple of years ago looking up stuff about gremlins because this movie has been in my life for as long as I can remember did not realizing it until a couple of years ago that the gremlins lore is exactly what that character I forget his name on top of my head talks about in this movie i found that insanely fascinating that not only is it from a folklore but the folklore is so new in the history of the world
1: yeah roald dahl also wrote a children's book about gremlins specifically so the notion of gremlins have been around for a while there was also a looney tunes short as well where bugs bunny has to like fight off a gremlin from a plane which knowing joe dante he a thousand percent saw it because he fucking loves old cartoons and serials and looney tunes specifically I mean, he directed Looney Tunes back in action. There's fucking old Warner Brothers sound bites all throughout this movie. Like, he definitely saw it. But Chris Columbus is the one who originally wrote Gremlins. Not historical monster Christopher Columbus. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, Chris Columbus wrote Gremlins, The Goonies, Young Sherlock Holmes. He directed Adventures in Babysitting, Home Alone, Mrs. Doubtfire, and uh, the first two Harry Potter movies, amongst a bunch of other stuff. So
0: That's a hell of a career. Band. That yeah, is a he, hell of a career.
1: He's got a lot of garbage in there, but he's done some pretty solid stuff too. And of course, Joe Dante. I mean, I'm honestly surprised that this is the first Joe Dante movie that we've done so far. But of course, like Piranha, The Howling, twilight done the movie, Explorers, Inner Space, The Burbs, Gremlins 2, Matinee, Small Soldiers, The Hole, Burying the X. I mean, he's one of the masters of R. Like, he is one of these OG film school guys who came up through Roger Corman and kind kind of went from there. I mean, he is a contemporary with Spielberg and Scorsese and Landis and George Lucas and De Palma and Coppola and just all those guys, right? Like, they all were kind of part of that same group. And he could
0: coast in the horror circle on Gremlins alone, but the fact that he did all these other movies... The Howling is another movie I can't wait for us to eventually cover, and I
1: forget that he was the director on that. I can't wait for us to cover The Burbs, because that is another one of my, like, all-time favorites fucking movies i love the burbs but yeah joe dante is one of those guys that anytime that you come across an interview with him just listen to it he is one of the most insightful and interesting to listen to people in the industry his experience his know-how the fact that he is so like well watched and well read and just he knows what the fuck he is talking about so like horror aside, if you want to learn about filmmaking, he is a thousand percent one of those guys that you want to, like, dig up every interview with him and listen to it. Any behind-the-scenes shit with him, any director's commentaries, any of that stuff, dig into all of it, because it's always going to be a fountain of knowledge coming from him. Anyway, yeah, Columbus wrote this as a spec script, and originally it was a lot darker, right? So, like, the mother Lynn was decapitated during her encounter with the monsters and the gremlin's (laughs) ate the fucking dog, they attacked the McDonald's, and ate all the patrons, but didn't eat any of the fucking burgers, and that's kind of, you know, called attention to. Yeah. And there wasn't like a central villain gremlin, but instead, Gizmo was supposed to turn into essentially the Stripe character, right? Spielberg is kind of the one who said like, no, 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 no. we need to like keep Gizmo as Gizmo and make him kind of the central hero character cute thing to like
0: hang the movie on. As much Shit talk as I've laid at Steel Spielberg's feet on our podcast, specifically at Tremors and now here in Gremlins. That's a pretty genius move on Spielberg's part. Yeah,
1: like I, I am also one of these people that like I have so much reverence for Spielberg and I understand like where he fucked up and where he maybe made some mistakes that like if we could go back and change time, maybe it would be best to not do those things. But like Spielberg, the entity, you can't deny. Like, dude knows what he's doing, dude lives in breathes film, he knows what he's doing. As much shit-talking as I've heard about Spielberg over the years from people in the industry, who are just arguably, like, either just over the whole Spielberg thing, or just genuinely, like, have some weird issue. Just the amount of, oh, wow, 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 Spielberg's a fucking hack that I heard, like, all through film school, you know? Dude knows what he's fucking doing, he knows how films work, he understands the formula, he understands the mechanics of how to make a movie, and how to manipulate audiences, and how to just like make things work. Like, he is the most effective modern filmmaker for that. And I say modern, like, he was there from like the height of American cinema in the 70s, like all the way to now still. Nothing but respect for Spielberg at the end of the day.
0: I mean, dude made Jaws. He made Jaws. Like, he directed that. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> but there are times like this where, yes, it was very genius that he kept Gizmo this like cute little central thing. But then there's also that part of me that's like, you know, how much of. Of that was like genuine to the idea of keeping Gizmo the hero, or just for the sake of marketing and toys and all that kind of shit. Yeah, right? like there's that weird part of me because like I think it was both. As <laughs> much as Spielberg yeah, is definitely both, yeah, but how much of one or the other? But yeah, Spielberg is definitely a filmmaker first, but he is absolutely a businessman very immediately next. Yeah, I mean that's why him and Lucas get together. Totally, like, totally. Yeah. They are very much from the same cloth. They just kind of went in different directions ultimately, but Spielberg bought the script for this. And he, again, like, brought it to Dante specifically after working with him on the Twilight Zone movie and knowing, like, okay, The Howling was also kind of this comedy satire horror thing. Like, you can handle that tone um, and the whole, like, comedy horror thing. And, again, like, this was the first feature for his new production company, Amblin Entertainment. So, he wanted kind of a flagship movie for that. Right. But he also figured that Dante could handle the movie's tone and everything else and make it work. Jerry Goldsmith did the the music for this which also he is kind of one of those all-timers the gremlin rag which is like the theme of gremlins up there is like
0: one of the horror movie theme greats like it is up there with Ghostbusters theme all that shit yeah it's even like up there with like the Halloween theme with John Carpenter it's a simple theme that is repetitive but so goddamn catchy and like when you hear it you immediately know like snap in
1: your head gremlins boom got it yeah I love how it's diegetically mixed in with the movie too like you hear the gremlins like actually fucking singing their own theme song in certain points of the movie like I love shit like that
0: that part when they when they are caroling the theme of this movie when she opens the door I love that shit I love when movie break the fourth wall in a way where they're not directly looking at the camera yeah. they're like singing the theme song as like you hear the music playing I like when movies are able to do that something with gremlins too, going on that theme Joe Dante captured I think there wasn't just one set theme I think it's a chaotic mess just like the gremlins are a chaotic force of nature but it's so well put together that these tonal shifts even though they're wild work and in regard to that I'll do my spiel here before we get more into the background of this film and the cast and all that of how scary this Movie is. This is a movie I watched as a kid. I watched this young as a kid, probably too young.
1: I did too. We were talking about yeah. that right before we started recording. This movie is one that both you and I grew up with. A hundred percent. We we watch this shit in my family constantly, year round. My parents loved this movie. Yeah. My dad loved putting it on. Yeah. Yeah. I was joking beforehand. Like, take every movie we've done on this show, add up all the times I've seen each of those movies. That's probably how many times I've seen fucking. Grim like I didn't even rewatch it yeah
0: you did the director commentary watch
1: yeah like just for shits um I I listened to it several years back but I just wanted to like run through it again but yeah this is one that has been with me since I was a child and honestly you know and I guess you're about to say this but like it is still scary it's still pretty yeah it's still kind of shocking it's just numb to me because I have fucking nostalgia goggles on same and I've been watching this movie since I was a child and I've always loved the mischievous monsters and I've loved the scene where the mom fucking murders a ton of them and blows them <laughs> up in the microwave and shit. Yeah. You know, I always had that like weird, fucked up streak in me to begin with. So. I always loved this movie. I never found this movie to be scary. But I absolutely get why other people would find this movie to be scary.
0: A thousand percent. Yeah. So this is this is the lens I went into it with. So this this ties into my whole, like, is it scary? Is it not scary? Should you start off with this movie as, if you're trying to get into a horror thing? I've seen this movie, like, dozens of times. But the thing was, I went on a long break. Unintentionally. Like, it's not something I intended to do. I, like Because I love this fucking movie. Unintentionally, I had not watched Gremlins for, like, the last seven to eight years maybe even a decade the last time i watched this i was probably in my young 20s maybe even late teens because i'd seen it fucking dozens of times from like when i was four or five years old all the way up to teenage years i
1: literally watched it last christmas with my family yeah see
0: like i was less numb to it and more susceptible to the horror i went into it like kind of like oh yeah gremlins is fantastic it's a ton of fun it's pretty much kinder trauma no 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 it's not this is more intense than kinder trauma i i think there's a shocking amount. of jump scares in this the reveal of the gremlins and how you hear them and see glimpses of them before you finally like see a full-blown gremlin is masterful horror to the point where like the first time you even get a glimpse of what their face looks like it's a jump scare and you only see like a second of it it jumps out of the cupboard and then it's like goes into the vent before you can actually like really process
1: what your brain just saw a lot of it is kind of the same thing as jaws where like uh, these puppies are a giant pain in the ass let's show yeah as little as we can to begin with until we really got to make it pay off yeah but like we have said plenty of times on this show less
0: is more and i think yeah. that was a case where like the slow reveal of what the gremlins actually look like and it's not slow I, slow is a bad word it, it's paced because yeah. this movie isn't slow yeah this movie's like an hour 45 yeah it's it moves quick but this movie jumps from laugh out loud antics and hilarity to borderline just gritty grim dark bullshit yeah
1: on a dime yeah
0: on a dime like even more on a dime than like the wailing and we praise the wailing for like how well it was able to like shift on a dime from like horror to comedy and vice versa gremlins does it maybe even better for instance two of the scenes actually that disturbed me as a kid and even still felt made me feel a little uncomfortable and they both start off funny and that get weirdly dark while still kind of stay in that comedy realm is the death of the woman who owns all the cats and she's the horrible rich woman who's trying to run out the family like you were saying she gets shot out of like her chair through the window so that whole scene is hilarious because like she opens the door the gremlins are caroling they're caroling the theme of gremlins to her she starts screaming but then the thing that makes it creepy and on uns- settling is if you listen to the things she's saying as she's getting on her chair that's been like tampered with by another gremlin she's saying I'm not ready for them to come and take me I'm not ready yet I knew they would show up and like come and take me someday but I'm not ready what the fuck was she like does she think these are like demons from hell ready to like take her to hell
1: (laughs) yeah presumably
0: yeah like that's the thought right and then she gets (laughs) shot out of the window which is also a funny death but then like there's a juxtaposition of darkness and like her like basically pleading that these demons don't take her to hell is fucking dark and then in that same scene like the cops see her shoot out the window and then a santa claus is getting ripped apart by gremlins yeah <laughs> and it's at the same time both hilarious and fucking disturbing because he's just like help me and the cops are just sitting there doing nothing and then they just leave his ass to get killed by gremlins the second scene though that is another juxtaposition of this dark horror and this comedy is the world war ii veteran again like the neighbor who hates foreigners him with the snow plow even as a kid i felt bad for his wife because his wife was like you could tell just like loving the Christmas spirit and then she gets crushed with him by the snowplow that scene is funny like as the gremlins are charging in with the snowplow but then they run over the couple who are just cowering in the corner he looks like he is having like PTSD flashbacks because he was the one who like talks about the gremlins legend earlier in the film and he's like that's a gremlin they're back they're back and like his wife who is this one scene she's in seems like the sweetest old lady who just loves Christmas also is cowering with her husband in the corner there's a lot of darkness just Juxtaposed with that comedy. So, yeah, it's a pretty intense horror movie. More intense than Tremors in terms of like that comedy horror area. I mean, fuck, the gremlin coming out of the cupboard, like I said earlier, the gremlin jumping on Billy's face. I think it's Spike when they're in the department store, and then like when the skeletal remains of Spike fly out of the fountain at the end.
1: Yeah, that's a good jump scare. I
0: forgot about that jump scare. It got me pretty good again this time around. It's an intense movie. I think it's dated enough and the tone is lighthearted enough during most of the time that i think it's a great holiday horror movie even for horror newbies but it's one that it has a lot of creepy shit that happens in it and if you pay attention even to little details it has a lot of disturbing elements like i said right before she gets killed in the chair just that choice of dialogue by her is kind of fucking creepy sure
1: yeah like i said i grew up with this one too and it doesn't phase me it doesn't phase me at all like this is one that i'm very curious how younger kids today react to it. Our friend Rob is really the only one with kids that would kind of be around the age that I was when I saw it. But I'm curious to know, like, have they introduced their kids to gremlins yet, and how did they feel?
0: I mean, I I know I saw gremlins when I was too young, because I think the very first time I saw it, it scared the fuck out of me.
1: And see, I've always loved gremlins. I can't ever in my life remember a time where I was scared of the gremlins. Like, even the monster version of them, like, at all. I loved it, but I know at one point or another, it scared me. Yeah, the fucking furnace in Home Alone, like, bothered me as a kid more than the gremlins <laughs> did. You know, so like, I don't know. I'm, I'm very curious if Heather and I have kids in our lives one of these days, you know, how soon is too soon? Because gremlins is kind of one of those things that I want to shove in my kid's face. Pretty quickly and be like, here, here's this thing. I think you'll enjoy. Oh, by the way, you're gonna immediately know that Santa Claus isn't real. <laughs> that was kind of another one of those things that, funny enough, like that whole like you know speech that Phoebe Cates gives. That's how I found out there was no Santa Claus,
0: which is a fucking another wild tonal shift, by the way.
1: Yeah, the producers in Spielberg fucking hated that speech. And they wanted it taken out. But Spielberg insisted that Dante kind of had the final say because he was the director and they kept it in. And it's actually one of the most memorable parts of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. But just hearing him tell stories about how so many parents wrote angry letters about how, oh yeah, my kid had to fucking find out that there is no Santa Claus because we took him to see this movie. Again, that's another one of those like weird have it both way kind of things because as much as this movie does love Christmas, it immediately shotgun blasts you in the face with oh yeah and santa claus is a fucking lie by the way like (laughs) your dad's gonna dress up as santa claus and he's gonna die stuck in the chimney (laughs) yeah but that speech is pretty great
2: now i have another reason to hate christmas
1: okay what are you talking about
2: the worst thing that ever happened to me was on christmas god it was so horrible it was christmas eve i was nine years old Me and mom were were decorating the tree, waiting for dad to come home from work. A Couple hours went by. Dad wasn't home. Mom called the office. No answer. Christmas day came and went, and still nothing. So the police began a search. Four or five days went by. Neither one of us could eat or sleep. Everything was falling apart. It was snowing outside. The house was freezing. So I went to try to light up the fire, and that's when I noticed the smell. Firemen came and broke through the chimney top, and me and Mom were expecting them to pull out a dead cat or a bird, and instead they pulled out my father. He was dressed in a Santa Claus suit he'd been climbing down the chimney on christmas eve his arms loaded with presents he was gonna surprise us he slipped and broke his neck died instantly and that's how i found out there was no santa claus
0: Yeah, it's disturbing, but it's great.
1: Yeah, and I love that in the sequel, they specifically clown on that fucking speech as well. And that version of it is just as fucking good. can't give up now. Washington didn't give up. Lincoln didn't
2: give up. Please. What's wrong? Oh, don't mention Lincoln. Something terrible happened to me when you were on Lincoln's birthday. I was six or, or seven and... I remember I had the day off from school, and Mom had let me go to the park. She'd made me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I was going through that peanut butter and jelly sandwich for days. And this man with this Honey, beard I'm... and a hat looked just like Abe Lincoln.
0: Honey, I really don't
3: think we've got time raincoat. for this now, you know?
2: He, I remember, oh God, he said, hello, little girl. Honey, come on.
0: <laughs>
1: That's fantastic. But yeah, that shit's great. So yeah, like, this movie definitely... Again, we keep saying it, we keep saying it, but it's such a good, bitter and sweet, sweet and sour, light and dark, fun and terror-like kind of mix in just the most perfect way. And the gremlins themselves can be the most fun, mischievous little characters, but then be utterly fucking terrifying. Like, yeah, demonic. Like, yeah. at the drop of a hat.
0: That goes back to my two points, because it not only... On the subject of Christmas and tone, but this is the tale of two sides as well with gore, violence, and the gremlins themselves. Because this movie, as far as people go, isn't that gory. Like the deaths that happen aren't bloody. Yeah. The one where they get run over by, uh, like I said earlier, the camera cuts away just as the gremlins are like hitting them or about to crash into them in the wall.
1: But spoiler alert, they live, they're fine, they're in the sequel.
0: Yeah, which is hilarious. But then at the same time, because the gremlins, gremlins are a fictional thing like you said with the mom they get fucking riggedy racked in so many gory ways of like <laughs> thrown yeah. in the microwave and exploded one gets fucking put into a blender <laughs> with its body halfway sticking out Striped whole death is fucking gnarly yeah the gremlins get royally fucked up and then also on that point the gremlins themselves are juxtaposition of being demonic imps that are genuinely terrifying especially like when they're slowly revealed like the gremlin in the classroom when he kills the science teacher that's some great horror movie monster great scene of that and then you know there are times where like the gremlins are just downright terrifying but then you have moments like and this is going back to what I want to bring up with back to the future there are moments every time I see a scene in specific movies that make me smile no matter how many times I've seen it before and the scene that I'm thinking of is when the gremlins are watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and they yep. start singing hi ho hi ho and I fucking love that line where she's just like what are they doing he's just like they're watching Snow White and they love it yeah you just hear Gizmo in the backpack <laughs> Yeah, also yeah. singing it I love how the gremlins are just a chaotic force of nature to where they're both dangerous but also completely incompetent and they're little fucking suicide machines like they just throw themselves into machinery not caring like if it's gonna harm them or harm each other they explode things and by using the, like their own body of like throwing themselves into the circus Tree, if that makes any sense
1: yeah they have that looney tunes level of elasticity where they're just gonna get like winged with a hammer and they're just gonna have like a big flat head afterward like it's very much that same level of yeah we can beat the fuck out of them and it's okay like they're just these little critters but it's entertaining to watch it absolutely if you have like
0: a running engine they're gonna throw like five or six sacrificial gremlins into the engine to totally fuck them up but also fuck up the engine it's like that kind of stuff that's how the gremlins act and that's what makes them so dangerous and while they're incompetent they also are creative and clever enough to really stalk people and just fuck things up for
1: everybody. (laughs) Yeah, so as far as the uh, start of the movie goes, you know, we see the father Rand Peltzer, played by Hoyt Axton. He was in a lot of TV stuff. He's a country and folk songwriter and musician first and foremost. He is in Chinatown looking for a like gift for his son. That's where he comes across Key Luke again and gets the Mogwai pet and brings it back. His son, Billy is played by Zach Galligan Gremlins was his film debut he was also in Waxwork and Gremlins 2 lots of TV stuff uh he was in Hatchet 3 which our buddy Nathan worked on and he uh, spent a little bit of time
0: with Zach Gallagher. Something else I wanted to bring up about Mugwai Mugwai is a Cantonese word. It's a standard Mandarin Chinese for meaning monster, evil spirit, devil, or demon. Yeah. The Mugwai is a thing in Chinese culture and history.
1: Yeah. The Mother Lin is played by Frances Lee McCain. She was in a lot of TV stuff as well Tex, Footloose, Back to the Future, Stand By Me, Scream. Uh, most recently, she was in the Preacher TV show. So she's been around for. For a long time the town of Kingston Falls was actually shot on the Universal backlot So I
0: looked that up because I got to say that they do an impressive job of converting that into like what feels like a small town. Yeah. Small town anywhere America.
1: Yeah. I like the idea that they purposely made the town look a little fakey and artificial in order to make the fakey puppets look a little closer to real life. So they dulled the reality of this town and kind of brought it to this slightly artificial level so that the puppets can kind of pop and rise to reality a little bit more like that's a very clever notion of how to film this movie and how to like make everything work if this town looks familiar it's because it's the same exact back lot that they shot all the backs of the future movies on
0: I was going to ask you that because it very much feels like Back to the Future. Yeah. Kind of what I meant to say earlier with Back to the Future is just like the gremlins singing Snow White and the Seven Doors." I was thinking of Marty McFly's guitar solo at the dance. (laughs) Yeah. That whole scene is just always a smile inducing scene.
1: Yeah. They shot this movie during the summer. (laughs) <laughs> so all the snow is fake all the extras are wearing like big heavy winter clothing and I heard on the commentary that the DP before every take would just yell like really loud Brr, it sure is cold right now just to like get everybody to like oh yeah I need to act like I'm cold you know <laughs> uh, we see Billy at his job at the bank um, where we meet his co-workers Phoebe Cates she was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High Bright Lights, Big City, Grimlin's to Drop Dead Fred um, man, Drop Dead Fred is a movie that Heather and I both saw as children and we watched as adults just last year and hoo oh boy man that movie is a fucking weird movie that was designed for children yeah Phoebe Cates is great in this movie love her speech like we said earlier the thing between Phoebe Cates who plays
0: Kate in this movie and Zach Galgen's character Billy Kate is the love interest in this movie but it's already been established that they kind of like have a thing for each other already that they they've just been dancing around or they just haven't worked up the courage to like ask each other out. they've been too busy working because they're both working jobs to basically support their families Kate's working two jobs you come to find out but you can tell that instantly they've been friends for a while but they want to become something more and that's just good character acting between them so I like that this movie isn't just the start of a love story within the context of this movie and like Kate never feels like she's a damsel in distress yeah I mean she gets herself out of that bar situation and figures out how to do it later on, kind of on her own. So I, I did appreciate that. Like, if you're gonna shoehorn in a love story between the the male and female leads, like having them already kind of set up for it is is nice because you don't have to like it's a better way to go. Bend over backwards to explain it. Yeah.
1: Yep. We also meet the co-worker played by Judge Reinhold. He was originally in the movie more, but they kind of trimmed a lot of his stuff out. Yeah. I
0: kept expecting him to show back up to get totally fucked up by the gremlins, and he never does. He just like acts it's yeah, like a no. douchebag in the first half and then, and then just it disappears.
1: Disappears. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There's a scene where Billy goes to the bar that Phoebe Cates works at, and the guy like sitting at the bar that kind of leans over and comments on his artwork is fucking Chuck Jones, like from Looney Tunes. Right. So like again, what a like great. Oh yeah. By the way, let's just have him in here casually. Funny enough, too. Like the artwork stuff doesn't really play a huge role in this movie, but like that's no. literally kind of the bag. In the second movie, is he is now a cartoonist slash architect drafter drawing stuff so he like fully pursues that in the second movie as like a career thing that's cool. Dick Miller of course plays the cantankerous old neighbor guy and Dick Miller is probably one of the most well known that guy actors ever. I mean he literally has an entire documentary about him that's just about how he is the definitive that guy actor But I remember reading
0: he was in like 180 films and like a lot of them were Roger Corman films too. Totally.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's how he and Dante got together. I mean, he's been in all of Dante's movies. The Peltzer House specifically like that entire set was built over a pit in the studio so that it was raised three to four feet to allow for the puppeteers and the engineers to like be underneath the floor to work and do the animation apparently it was like pretty fucking miserable and gross and there were like rats and shit down there but that whole house set is pretty ingenious and the commentary was fun too because the creature effects guy chris wallace was just like every single scene like oh god this was a painting in the ass oh god we never could get this to work oh god we had to shoot this so many fucking times like just the amount of like How do we figure out how to do these puppets? What do we need from scene to scene? Because they would do things like you would see somebody pick Gizmo up and set him down. And then when it cuts back to Gizmo, it would be a completely different puppet with different capabilities, like (laughs) sitting there on the table, right? Like anytime that they had to move him, you know, the rule was always just try not to show his feet, which is why he's always like covered in blankets and in the backpack and shit like that. The puppet could not walk. Like there was no getting that mechanic to work well. So they constantly just like have him bundled up and shit to, like, hide the electronics and stuff. This is also where we meet Corey Feldman, who plays Pete. Um, This was basically his, I think this might have been his film debut. He had been in a few TV things and commercials before this, but he is obviously Tommy Jarvis in Friday the 13th, the final chapter in The New Beginning. He's Mouth in The Goonies. He's in Stand By Me, The Lost Boys, The Burbs. He's the voice of Donatello in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. He's, he's been in a ton of shit all these years. And yeah, the scene where like you see the two of them up in Billy's room. And Billy's room is another one of those like, I think we've mentioned it on the show. And this is not just like a horror movie thing. Although it is definitely more to like my flavor in horror movies. But the whole like kid teenager college kid bedroom in movies like that whole thing where it's just always like (laughs) oh man this is the fucking room that I want to have I want to live in like a cool converted attic with the slanted roof walls and
0: I thought the same thing his room is cool as shit (laughs) yeah I want to
1: have like the entire attic to myself that entire notion that you see in so many movies is always great and um you know horror movies especially like we talked about on our last episode with Fright Night and so many others like anytime that there's like a horror movie kid's room, and it's just wall-to-wall, like, posters and masks and, you know, magazines and comic books and, like, all this just trash, and there's always, of course, like, a vintage black and white TV, like, playing old horror movies in the corner, right? Like, it's the ideal bedroom, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. We see Gizmo in this scene, and this is kind of an interesting scene where you get to see a bunch of the different types of Gizmo models because they pick him up, they sit him on the desk, you get these really good close-ups. Anytime I'm they show a close-up of gizmo that is actually a model that's two to three feet big yeah that they just like shot you know for the close-up so that it had more expression and they could build more sophisticated
0: electronics into it the thing that's always wild to me too and i always forget about it until i come back to this movie gizmo is voiced by howie mandel yeah i always forget that howie mandel provides all the sounds gizmo makes i mean he does a great job as gizmo in this movie i gotta admit yeah and i'm assuming he's back
1: for the sequel as well i I believe so yeah but he's the voice of gizmo yep fucking frank welker is the voice of stripe stripe yeah the rest of the mogwais and the gremlins are voiced by like peter cullen and michael winslow and bob bergen and <laughs> michael sheehan and mark dodson like i know that's just a random bunch of names but google or imdb literally any of them and look at their credits and you will find something you are like oh fuck yes that's my childhood right there just having frank welker alone be like yeah, yummy yummy yeah, yeah <laughs> through the entire movie is like <laughs> pretty good shit <laughs> pretty yeah. good yeah this is also the scene where kind of a setup for later we see gizmo watching a fucking clark gable movie um which clark gable might not be like the best dude in hindsight to be like getting personality lessons from but, <laughs> yeah you
0: know, whatever that brings up a good point this is something i've almost forgot about there are so many checkoffs guns in this movie absolutely yeah, 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 yeah. anytime they open the door and close the front door of his house there's those swords that are decorative and one falls that down fall on the, off the ground. The yeah. It's like, oh, okay, that sword's <laughs> going to be used later. Or the fucking yep. snowplow. Like when he points out that snowplow, no, that's American made. Yeah. Like, yeah, like we know that snowplow is going to fuck you up later when gremlins are riding it.
1: <laughs> yeah. This is also where we see the gremlin rules being broken for the first time. So let's back up. That's one of the things about this movie that people love to shit on and criticize is the gremlin rules and yeah they're i love them dumb
0: oh yeah they're really dumb but i love and them. they
1: make no sense when you nitpick them right like we joked about in our like dumb little opener with the cat okay midnight you can't feed them past midnight midnight in what time zone It's always midnight somewhere. I guess there's a degree of magic where, like, whatever time zone you're in. Yeah, right? It's totally, it's absolutely one of those just, like, turn your fucking brain off and don't think about it. Just roll with it. But
0: yeah, when you think about, like, how does any mammal whatsoever, I'm assuming they're mammals, exist without not being able to have water at all, without causing millions of other mogwai to multiply.
1: I like that these rules all just kind of thrown in during, like, the script development process. Even they joked about how insane, like, all these these rules are to the point that like literally in Gremlins 2 again they are making fun of it like there's an entire scene where you know all these characters are standing around and doing like we just joked about they're all just nitpicking like well midnight can't be in past midnight well midnight what time zone midnight what part of the world it's always midnight somewhere what if you start eating during a plane ride and then you like cross time zones <laughs> while you're like in the air do you just have like a plane full of Gremlins like that kind of shit right but yeah this is like the first time in the movie that we see the rules being broken and the rules again are like don't bring them in sunlight no bright lights they don't like bright lights of they're any like kind. vampires Special sunlight yeah. you know don't get them wet and don't feed them after midnight so this is where we see kind of that first instance of like oh you fucked up they accidentally knock over the glass of water onto gizmo which and by the way
0: wet. i like billy as like that every man young adult but he's a doofus teenagers and young adults alike could relate to him at least in the 80s with this movie but all of this is his fault yeah. all the shit yeah. that ha- like like everything that happened to, happens to
1: his town from the gremlins is because of him. Yeah, he's a doofus. So yeah, they knock this glass of water over onto Gizmo and he immediately starts flipping out and convulsing and his back starts bubbling and all these little like balls of fluff just pop, pop, pop. Pop off of him in different directions in the room, which again is is a great juxtaposition of like some solid body horror, yeah, but like with that comedic touch to it. It's gross shit, yeah. Like in terms of things that are unsettling and weird phobias and shit like that, we haven't talked about weird phobias on this show in a while. But I fucking hate nematodes. Tripophobia, <laughs> that weird like fear of weird holes thing, is one thing, but nematodes are kind of both things put together. I don't know what's what such like, a specific word is thing. It. Yeah, I, But just I the whole idea that like nematodes literally have all of their like gross little babies burrow into like their backs and then they all just burrow out of these little holes in their backs like it's so fucking gross to me. And Gizmo basically operates on the same idea like the gremlins all do whenever they multiply they just bubble up and like bud you know these like little weird gross whelps and they just like pop off so anyway yeah gizmo like shoots out these little fur balls that fly all over the room and you see them kind of start to grow and get bigger which they were essentially just like fur covered balloons that were being like inflated through the desk
0: yeah i was about to ask you how they pulled off that effect because it it looked practical like the whole damn
1: way through it it all is yeah there's no like digital effects at all in this movie but yeah like when they all kind of grow out you realize like oh shit now there's six more mogwai yeah because they grow immediately I love that, like, these all look just slightly meaner. They all just look slightly more evil little mogwais, right? Like, they all have their own little distinct faces, and, you know, obviously you have Stripe with his, you know, little mohawk. Mohawk. But I do like that they're all still cute little mogwais, but they all look just slightly more evil than Gizmo. (laughs) That's a good touch. Yeah, they look like little shits immediately. That's totally a good touch. So, anyway, yeah, we then have Billy and Pete be like... like okay what the fuck is going on so they kind of figure like let's take one of these and bring it to like the science teacher at the school just to get his opinion on it well pete tries to actually like touch one of the new ones yeah that bites it's a nice like kind of
0: foreshadowing and it tries to bite him yeah because it's like oh okay these are not nearly as friendly as
1: gizmo is yeah they're more rambunctious they're louder they're meaner they're more crass gizmo is like this cute little sweet thing but these are all like little mischievous jumping around being loud They're
0: little assholes, yeah. They're
1: assholes, but yeah, they take one and they figure like, let's bring it to the science teacher just to kind of like see what the hell he thinks of this weird thing. Because I love that like dad brought home weird pet and nobody is like, hey pops, what the fuck animal (laughs) is is this?" this? Yeah. You know, like, what is this fucking weird thing? They just
0: go along with that they love that he sings when you play the keyboard and that it's not quite as dumb as, dumb is a bad word, but not quite as operating on just animal intellect as, like, a cat or a dog. It's just clever enough, but it's also cute. But it's like, no, I'd be like, what
1: the fuck? This is a new species that no one's ever known about. Yeah, and while we're right here exactly, you know, in hindsight, I really wish that we had gotten my youngest brother on this episode. Because he fucking loves Gremlins, and I just didn't think, oh yeah, duh, I should get him to like come on this episode. But there's three or four other things that we have have lined up for already. He texts me out of the blue last night. At first, he was messaging me about fucking Mystery Men. <laughs> 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 right? He, he he just said, finally realizing as an adult that Jeffrey Rush is fighting Ben Stiller with his Coke nail and Mystery Men. <laughs> right but then like you know an hour later he messaged me and said what's even more ridiculous is this character of the dude from gremlins like is he in high school he works at a bank he's also doing homework at some point he's friends with the science teacher but then he's also friends with Corey feldman who's 12 years old also he lives in his parents attic and reads comic books and i was just like yeah i don't don't know what to
0: tell you bro (laughs) also goes to the bar later after work yeah
1: How how old is Zach Gallagher in this movie? Is he 16 or is he 26? We'll no, never No, I, I took it as he's like in his young 20s. He's post high school for sure. He, yeah, he's like in college. I don't even think he's in college, right? Yeah,
0: maybe he's not in college, but like he remained friends with the science teacher. Maybe the, that guy taught him
1: or maybe they graduated together. And if we want to like dig into headcanon a little bit, here's my headcanon. Because so many people in this town are like down on their luck and and money sucks and everything else. And also because his dad is a fucking shitty inventor who you don't see ever, like, sell anything in this movie. He's just having to, like, constantly give away his inventions. (laughs) And it seems like they're the only versions of his inventions. Like, you don't see him with... It's not like there's ever a moment where he's like, oh, yeah, we've got 90 boxes of the bathroom buddy in the basement that I can't sell. The bathroom buddy that he has seems to be the only one that he has, right? The smokeless yeah. ashtray is the only one that he has, right? Well, no, I guess he has two because he gives both of them away, but he never sells anything. He's just always having to give his shit away. And I love that, like, Lynn and Billy are both just so scared of his shit. Yes, they're going to use the weird egg cracking machine instead of just cracking the egg, but they're terrified of it. Yes, they're going to use the weird, like, goop poop coffee maker, which is basically just like an old school Keurig, right? But, like, they're terrified of it. And, of course i I love his reluctance to like use the orange juice machine and then of course it fucking goes wild and just his like resigned pose and his look of just like god damn it as the thing is just like (laughs) blasting him with fucking orange juice
0: and the thing is like it's not even that that out of fear of their dad being mad or anything because the dad seems cool as shit like he seems like he genuinely cares about them everybody seems like fine with it and they support
1: him but i think the dark side is they don't want him to be depressed maybe billy is post high school but he is not in college and he clearly has career aspirations like he wants to be a cartoonist we learn in the sequel that's what he wants to do right and that's what he is doing he's like going to school or whatever my take is billy is literally having to work this fucking job at the bank to like pay the mortgage to pay bills because his dad is a fucking deadbeat inventor and he's putting off school to support his family yeah both gerald
0: and miss deagle like basically call him out on that being like you are paying basically for your Deadbeat dad's hobby of inventing stuff. Mm-hmm. Dude, like, that's the thing that's wild is like these people just dunk on his ass, like right in front of his face. They aren't talking behind his back or anything. No, they, like, both Gerald and Mrs. Deagle go up to his face and talk about yeah. how much of a fuck up he is, how much of a fuck up his dad is, how they're poor, and the reason why they're poor is all his dad's fault. Like, they are just yeah. like
1: ruthless <laughs> about this. Overall, they bring the other little Mogwai to the science teacher, played by Glenn Turman, who He's a character actor that's been around forever too. Lots of TV stuff, lots of black exploitation stuff like Cooley High and JD's Revenge. He's in a great kind of throwback neo noir black exploitation thing called Deep Cover from the '90s. Light it up. He's the fucking mayor in The Wire, which that's kind of the main thing that's like stuck in my head now. He was in Super 8, which is also another huge like Spielberg kind of throwback movie. John dies at the end, and right now he's currently in season four of. Fargo so they bring it to him he's like yeah I've never seen anything like this before let me keep it for some testing and then of course you know later that night as fucking like Invasion of the Body Snatchers with the pod people is rolling in the background which by the way fun Kevin McCarthy cameo he's been in all of Dante's movies like through a point but this is him in a way earlier role in his career on the TV so that was kind of fun but yeah we see like the Mogwais all get into food in various ways like the teacher leaves the sandwich out Billy kind of like leaves the chicken laying out and they fuck with the time clock and like trick him into feed them chicken right so then they all turn into like the goopy little like pupa stage blobs which those are so fucking gross like they yeah. just look like giant snot boogers
0: on the floor dude it's it's unsettling because like you wouldn't picture these cute furry things going straight into like fucking a mix between a xenomorph and a caterpillar's cocoon like yeah It's just
1: gross. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we like see them all break out. And this is kind of where like the horror of the movie, like really starts to kind of kick in. Yeah. The reveal of them and
0: the fact that they decided to start with just audio cues and then like very quick visual cues before they actually show you a full blown gremlin on screen is pretty good choice. Yeah.
1: And it's kind of cutting back and forth. They're talking to the dad who's like at this inventor's convention thing. There's a pretty good cameo with Jerry Goldsmith, the composer there and uh, Spielberg as well. He's riding around that like weird recumbent bike thing because he had recently broken his fucking leg. But there's like all this weird chaos going around in the background while the dad is trying to call back home and have this serious conversation. It's just one of those weird like you're juxtaposing these monsters busting out of these fucking like goopy snot bubbles (laughs) and then the dad trying to talk over all these loud assholes and robots and shit. But yeah, the gremlins get up to some mischief. You know, we see things like them hanging the dog from the porch with the lights which the dog was again like good that he escaped his fate from what the script originally had planned for him as we've joked about on this show so many horror movies love killing pets yeah they do crack me up (laughs) listening to the director's commentary because the dog's Barney in the movie but the dog's real name was Mushroom and they fucking love that dog everybody that worked in that movie loves that fucking dog dude the dog is adorable yeah Joe Dante was like best actor I've ever worked with in my entire career was this fucking dog I believe him. Yeah. It's a cute ass dog. Well, it's an emotive dog too. The dog yeah. genuinely like has a good face for emotion and the dog reacts to things. Like the dog is paying attention to the gremlins and the mogwai puppets. Like it's reacting yeah. to them, which is very interesting because you know sometimes dogs and cats just don't fucking register that stuff. You know? It feels like a character. I've yeah. joked about it before with our stupid dogs that you hear bark in the background every once <laughs> in a while. But like if a fucking like branch Creeks two blocks away my dogs are gonna fucking bark at it for five minutes but the hedgehog that we have we'll take the hedgehog out put it on the ground and let it like run around the dogs don't even fucking like pay attention to it it's <laughs> weird right so like the fact that this dog is so reactive to it is interesting and the gremlins do kind of fuck with this dog a little bit but uh, they don't like hurt the dog they yeah. never kill him yeah thankfully the dogs arrive throughout
0: this but unfortunately the science teacher he bites it yeah he bites it and In a pretty creepy
1: scene, and it was supposed to be more graphic. Like they were supposed to come around and find him with a dozen hypodermic needles, like all sticking in his face, instead of the one, instead of just the one in his butt. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, but I like the way they do it because it's much more subtle and creepier, and it's still that comedy effect of his body has a fucking syringe in his ass. Yeah, but yeah, that scene is creepy because like he is in the middle of class and he has on that projection, and the projection stays on, and like the gremlins running around the classroom making noise with the projector still on and then it turns
1: off the projector. Yeah. It's it's very unsettling. There's lots of like slamming doors and slamming cabinets and boxes getting knocked over and just a lot of sounds and vibes and dread of the scene without like directly seeing the gremlins, like you said. Yeah. And then we get to the fucking kitchen scene, which this is one of my all-time favorite scenes from any horror movie. It's great. The mom fucks up some gremlins. Yeah. The mom, Lynn, goes upstairs to check on... Billy and of course he's not there but she sees all the gross snot bubble pods popped open and that's where you hear do you hear what I hear coming from downstairs and she knows like what the fuck somebody's in the house and you see her creep down there and this is where you finally get like the first true reveal of the gremlin monsters proper
0: while that was happening Billy had gotten called over by the science teacher before the science teacher bit it so he's running over there to meet the science teacher Well, he discovers the science teacher's dead body yeah, and gets attacked I think by the gremlin the gremlin runs off then he realizes oh shit my mom's at home yeah and it cuts home. back to his mom but during all that too before they actually show you any of the gremlins like when you're hearing them and seeing their shadows there's a part where it cuts to gizmo upstairs who's obviously being fucked with by the gremlins and they have him set up on a dartboard and they're throwing darts at the dartboard and like the darts are going all around him and then at one point they fucking just <laughs> yeet him down the, the laundry chute yeah. and then
1: that's when the, the gremlins at one point make their way
0: downstairs and start fucking fucking with things
1: but yeah this is the scene where like all the gremlins are in the kitchen chowing down on all the cookies and all the food and the mom like fucking shoves one into the blender and pushes one into the microwave
0: and stabs one to death the thing that's i i love about the scene the mom gets a couple scratches but nothing major but it's hilariously gory to the gremlins it's monster goop yeah this is a good establishment of the gremlins being both dangerous but also very (laughs) incompetent very easy to fucking wreck but because there's so many of them and they're clever enough that's what makes them dangerous because the mom takes out a lot of gremlins and she takes them out like a fucking badass like making use of the environment around her but like then she gets attacked from the Christmas tree in
1: another pretty effective jump scare that fake out's really good where yeah. you see the moving Christmas stocking and she slashes it open and it's just a toy but then like oh yeah here's the actual monster hiding in the tree and you, if you know where to look you can see its eyes like glowing and it's yeah, just in the way whole- Time. Like it's so yeah. fucking good. Yeah.
0: Well, and the thing about that scene too that makes me laugh is who was that robot for? Cause it looks like a child's robot toy. Is that for Billy? Yeah. Again, like don't know. <laughs>
1: Twenty something year old. <laughs> Is he thirteen? Is he thirty eight? I don't know. But yeah, like Billy arrives home just in time. Again, grabs one of the fucking swords that you know we keep seeing falling off the wall, and he hooks that one's head right off it into the fucking fireplace. <laughs> and I love again the director's commentary every time something like that happened. You know, because they had talked about how much trouble they got in and how much grief they got from. Parents in the studio about like how dark and how violent this movie is and blah <laughs> blah blah. And Joe Dante was like, I don't fucking get it. It's Looney Tunes levels of bonk on the head kind of violence. It's not that big of a deal. But then like every time that they would show something violent, like the gremlin getting blended up in the blender or the exploding gremlin in the microwave or in this case the one getting its head chopped off and thrown in the fire, just Joe Dante every single time being like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. It's not violent at all. Look, this, <laughs> it's not that violent. <laughs> just no violence here. What Talking about this movie's
0: not violent to defend him for a second, like the actual human gore is really just reserved again to just the cuts and scratches, like here and there, it's absolutely minimal. Yeah, but like the gremlins do get totally fucking annihilated throughout this movie. Yeah, it
1: did just it still cracked me up just him being like, Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. This movie's not violent at all. So, yeah, they track Stripe because he is now like the last of the monsters, they track him to the YMCA, and of course, he ends up. Jumping in the fucking pool, and we see this giant epic scene where the camera kind of cranes back, and you see this pool just bubbling and convulsing, and all the lights, and all the strobes, and the smoke, and everything else as he's multiplying. Because, of course, don't get him wet, that's the number one no no. So now there's thousands of gremlins all across
0: the town. One of the the most nostalgic scenes in this movie is when he jumps into the water and it just shows the puppet kind of floating down in the water and you hear that noise he's making, the... Yeah, and like just that noise is always what stuck out in my mind because i I do remember the scene weirdly enough kind of creeping me out a little bit
1: as a kid and so anytime i see it i always think back on that that was another funny scene too where chris wallace was just like god damn it we had to shoot that so many times to like get the fucking puppet to just sink straight down and not spin or go off to the side or like do cartwheels in the water or whatever we then cut to the police station Billy goes to the police to like warn them and say hey hey there's all these monsters you gotta help us these two chuckle fucks and of course they like blow him off which by the way did you happen to recognize who the like deputy is vaguely but I didn't look up who it actually was it's fucking Jonathan Banks aka Mike from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul (laughs) yeah Yeah. he's one of those people that like I had seen so many fucking movies with him. Christ, you're right. Because now I'm thinking even about it. Yeah.
0: It. Now that I'm thinking about it and picturing the cop in my head, shit, that is him. That's totally Mike. Yeah.
1: I have seen him in so much stuff since seeing Breaking Bad, and it's wild to me now to go back and see like, oh, he was in this. He was in fucking Buckaroo Banzai. He was just in fucking something else that I just watched. Like he's just in so much old stuff in these low key little parts, and you don't even like realize, oh, that's who that is. And now Mike is like one of the best modern TV characters you know so that's kind of a wild little cameo but these two cops are like
0: the pinnacle of not only incompetence but pretty shitty at their job you can tell that they just get drunk on job all the time (laughs) because they're both joking (laughs) about how they're both been drinking and like who should drive the car but yeah the cops kind of blow them off well no, they get a call about the accident from the snowplow from that and that's when Billy is like I'm telling you that was the gremlins that did that to them yeah they're like no it was just a freak." accident kid but they're leaving to go like respond to that and then on the way is when they actually find out about the gremlins because that's when she gets launched out of the window in her chair and everything
1: yeah this is where we start to see the gremlins actually spreading across town and causing havoc everywhere but yeah mrs deagle biting it again is the best fucking thing just seeing that air cannon blast her out of that fucking window (laughs) this is where like the movie really
0: shines too because while the gremlins themselves are chaotic this whole movie turns into chaos
1: but in a great way yeah It's just that beautiful chaos. And the next scene, of course, is the bar scene, which, you know, again, just chaos, chaos, chaos. Well,
0: and a total tonal shift to, like, total Looney Tunes. Like, the
1: Gremlins are just acting like Looney Tunes now at this point. Yeah. Apparently this set smelled fucking terrible. Between all the beer that's just warm, hot-ass beer, and smoke, and popcorn, and the, like, rubber and latex of the Gremlins, and just the heat and everything else. Apparently this set smelled fucking horrible. Well, MVP
0: award goes to Phoebe Cates, then, for... Absolutely, Being the, like, only actor in that
1: scene. Yeah. But it cracks me up, too, how, like, she is clearly at her job, but there are only gremlins at this bar, and she just continues to work the job and, like, try to serve all these gremlins instead of just getting the fuck out of the bar.
0: This means one of two things, or both things. One, she is that fucking committed to her job, no matter the circumstances. Two, she was, like, the one in the bathroom or something. She was in the middle of, like, using the restroom when the gremlins all came in as this fucking wave of chaos into the bar all the patrons <laughs> yeah. and the co-workers left and then she came out of the bathroom and it was either all these gremlins now fuck me up or i start serving them alcohol <laughs> Like sure yeah. but yeah billy shows up gets her out of the bar she discovers in the process using a camera flash which again is another fucking uh Chekhov's gun, gun, because earlier there was a camera flash at gizmo that like stuns him she uses like a camera to like start like blinding all the gremlins in the bar and there's that one that's riding on the fan and she turns up the fan and like it flies all the way it, yeah. into the fucking neon sign. One of the gremlins I think isn't it Stripe has a fucking gun and then like realizes yeah. that she's <laughs> killing all the other
1: gremlins and starts firing a gun at her. Yeah they're playing cards and the one that cheats at cards Stripe shoots them. Yeah, But yeah Billy shows up grabs her and they dip across town they end up in the bank that Billy works at. I think they were like trying to lock themselves in the vault or something but that's where the like that's how i found out there was no santa claus speech happens again that speech is just so weird to me because like santa was never a thing in our family so like this scene never really hit home with me in that sense but like the horror of discovering your dead parent in such an insane and awful way like is something that kind of always bothered me yeah but it cracks me up that so many people do just have issue with not the fact that it's like a dead parent story but more that it's telling kids that Santa is not real. Isn't yeah. real.
0: <laughs> well, that, that's the funny thing is Santa was a thing for a little while, like for me growing up. But I, again, I'd watched Gremlins also at a young age. So I always knew that Santa was fake, but we still celebrated the idea of Santa. So it was like kind of sure, this weird yeah. middle ground of just like
1: Heather and her family, like it's still a joke.
0: Oh yeah, Santa brought us yeah
1: stockings. Wink, 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 wink. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Like, and, but even then, like even as a young kid, it was almost like being a wrestling fan and understanding that wrestling, the nature of like how it's booked is the quote-unquote fake part, but still believing yeah. in the product of being this thing. And I think that's the way it was always for me as a kid with Santa. of just like, yeah, I know Santa's probably not real or is just straight up not real, but we're still going to go along with that.
1: I'll still leave out a note for Santa yeah. when I
0: was like six or seven years
1: old, even though I know he's not real. So the next scene is uh, them running down the street to the movie theater. They're trying to figure out like, where the hell did they all go? and they wander over to the movie theater and discover, oh, all the gremlins are fucking packed into the movie theater, and they're all watching Snow White, <laughs> and it's delightful.
0: It's, it's again, one of my favorite scenes of any movie. This is like a top 50
1: scene of all time for me, is the gremlins yeah. watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. They shot multiple plates with all the puppets in different sections of the theater, and then optically composited all of them together to make it look like one big image. Right? Because they only had, you know, so many different gremlin puppets to use all at once but yeah they have the idea that like okay we can literally blow up the movie theater and (laughs) kill all the gremlins so they like sneak to the back they turn on the gas and light a trail of paper and go out the back door and of course all the gremlins see them and start chasing after them so one of my favorite effects in this whole movie
0: and it's actually a pretty creepy effect too is when the gremlins realize they're backstage and they're behind the screen and then like the camera goes back to like them backstage and they see all the gremlins running towards the screen but it's all their shadow yeah. outlines. That effect yeah. was really fucking cool.
1: And it's 2D hand-drawn animation yeah. effect. Yeah, it's it's super cool. But yeah, they blew up the movie theater, and apparently the explosion was so powerful that it shattered somebody's fucking plate windows at their house somebody that lived near, like, the Universal back lot. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. And then, of course, the final set piece is in the Montgomery Ward department store. And this is where the movie does just turn into, like, straight slasher movie. It really does. Because they're in here, they're searching for Stripe because he's the last bad one they have to take out. Stripe snuck out of the movie because he was looking for candy, and he ended up down the street in the department store window to get all the candy. Yummy, <laughs> yummy. You know, so they all, like, chase after him in there, but then it literally just becomes, like, weird creepiness of the empty department store at night, and then Stripe stalking them through the store, and there's Stripe with, like, a fucking chainsaw, and Stripe with a crossbow, and just fucking Billy up, beating him with a baseball bat, and shooting him with crossbows and shit. Yeah. And then, of course, Gizmo comes to the rescue, he gets in his little car, and... He's emulating Clark Gable in that racing movie earlier, which I love in the sequel. Again, he ends up seeing fucking Stallone in First Blood or something, and then Gizmo just ties the bandana around his head and, like, gets a flaming bow and arrow, and instead of, like, hearing the Clark Gable lines in his head, it's just Stallone, like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> right? The Drew First Blood. Yeah, Stripe ends up getting into, like, this bird bath so that he can multiply himself again and gizmo zooms to save the day like right in time and he pops the blinds open right as sun is coming up and it fries stripe and turns him into a big puddle of goop after stripe bites that we
0: get like probably the scariest actual jump scare of his skeleton popping out of the fountain yeah and just one last ditch effort and then it just starts melting away but that skeleton pop out scene i do remember that specifically scaring the absolute shit out of me when i was a little kid <laughs> and it
1: got me again this time around because i've totally forgot about it but Yeah, by this time, the dad's shown up, and the dog is there again, and they all just walk out together. I love, too, that the reporter at the end is apparently the same actor and the same character from The Howling. So, Gremlins and The Howling, officially in the same universe. Well, and I like how he dismisses it
0: as mass hysteria, and then a a giant (laughs) riot. When, like, there is no goddamn way you could cover up the fact that Gremlins fuck up this entire town. (laughs) Yeah,
1: but then, you know, at the end, they're all at the Peltzer house key Luke shows back up to basically say like look you took the Mogwai you were irresponsible you know so now like clearly you're not ready for the Mogwai and I'm gonna need to take him back so say goodbye he's gonna come with me and he'll love you forever he won't forget you and then of course Gizmo's you know bye Billy
0: well and he even says Billy I believe someday you will be ready again to meet Gizmo
1: which sure all this shit is Billy's fault so yeah I know that doesn't make that doesn't make any fucking sense to me but whatever
0: (laughs) but Mr. Wing it is an interesting maybe even commentary of again Western society just fucking things up. Oh totally. And like it is a commentary on like the capitalistic nature of Christmas, even if you want to go that route. It absolutely. Is. That whole speech he gives as to like how we're not ready to basically to care for something like a mugwai. Well, not just
1: Christmas, but you're on the right track absolutely when you say it's a criticism of Western society. Like yeah. I love that Mr. Wing even says, Oh, and you taught him to watch TV? Like, god damn it like televisions the devil like that kind of thing you know yeah which is a little i think
0: maybe a little too far in the opposite direction but at the same time that whole speech brings up a lot of great points that are still very much relevant today unfortunately yeah i forgot about that speech and then i know i did remember him showing back up to take gizmo away but i forgot that he gives that speech too yeah it adds another depth or another layer to this movie that i I otherwise forgot about so yeah i mean this gives you an idea of my taste my favorite christmas movies now and again this is just rewatching gremlins as a reminder of this my favorite christmas movies are probably black christmas and gremlins like to just give you an idea of how like (laughs) fucking skewed my brain is especially around the holidays yeah but gremlins is just a good time but it's also a lot scarier than i remember but man i had a blast watching it something i wanted to ask you about wasn't gremlins 2 wasn't it just all right you want me to make a sequel fine i'm gonna make it even more over the top like wasn't it purposely over the top for the sake of being that way is almost even like a subtle fuck you Basically, yeah. But then it winds up working. Yeah,
1: basically, yeah. You know, we'll talk about the sequel here because the sequel is just straight-up comedy. Well, spoiler alert,
0: I do want to eventually cover the sequel on our podcast. Probably not for a while. You think? I would like to, yeah. Okay. Maybe even as, like, a giggle flicks.
1: Yeah, I could I could see us doing that. But, yeah, like, the sequel is straight-up comedy. It is just satire the entire way. Like Satire of the franchise, too, like, of Gremlins itself. Satire of the franchise but also still like lots of social commentary and societal commentary and everything else commentary on the first movie certainly but commentary on society and everything else like the fucking clamp tower and you know Mr. Clamp that runs the whole place like it is all just a fucking like dig at Donald Trump even back then everybody knew he was a shitbird, right the entire movie is just making fun And, and I joked about this a while back what was the fucking deal in the late 80s early 90s with so many movies being set in like tall mega skyscrapers where like everything you need is in this one building and we've got shopping malls and we've got grocery stores and we've got salons and entertainment and bars and you never have to leave this giant skyscraper fucking gremlins 2 demons 2 poltergeist 3 like even fucking another christmas classic die hard to a degree right the, what was the fucking deal with that but yeah the sequel you know warner brothers was like please 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 make another one make another one right <laughs> and you know they kind of let dante do whatever he wanted and just that's be careful what, what you ask for is like like, yeah, <laughs> fuck it. Like, let's just go like full crazy this time. I absolutely love the Key and Peel sketch, how Gremlins 2 got made. It's fucking Keegan Michael Key, like, playing Joe Dante, sitting in a, like, boardroom full of writers. And he's just like, all right, we got to figure out Gremlins 2. Like, let's, let's fucking do it. What, what ideas do we have? Jordan Peel shows up and he's like the hot Hollywood script doctor who comes in to, like, juice up sequels and make them pop you know and he shows up and he's like i'm just gonna sit right here don't worry about me i'm just i'm just here to like hang out and then of course as soon as they start talking
3: what if we did this everybody here gets to design their own gremlin um I, i don't see that the uh the gremlin design is broken it's called brainstorming not brain drizzling sweet pea okay shut your mouth for a second look here's the thing None of this is final. So you mean like, what if there was like a brainy gremlin? (laughs) Mm. A brainy gremlin. You talking about a gremlin with glasses who could talk and sing New York, New York? That's brilliant. It's in the movie, done. Whoa, whoa, you you said that nothing was final. That was before I heard the words brainy and gremlin in the same sentence together. It's done, I love it, it's in the movie next. What about a uh, spider gremlin? You mean a gremlin with eight legs and a thorax just catching pretty ladies in a web in an office building? Oh my God, it's in the movie. I love it. Next. Could there be a female gremlin? Shh, lipstick boobies, bitch. You have me and little gremlin but JJ, I love it so much that it's not only in the movie, but it's definitely in the movie. Yes, 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 in the movie, done. That's why we need a woman in the writer's room. Next. I don't know. A googly-eyed gremlin? But you do know, because you talking about a gremlin whose sole purpose in this film is just that he looks stupid as fuck, yes. It can be in the movie, and it is in the movie. Done next. What about you, Silver Fox? Oh, electricity gremlin? You just said noun and gremlin, like you play in Mad Libs. You just like a child. You have the brain of a child. You do not have a high IQ, but you and he came up with a gremlin that's just made out of bolts that is zigzagging all over the room and is done completely in animation you a crazy person and your idea's in the movie done next <laughs> and then it
1: ends with him like leaving and the joe dante character being like okay you know none of this is going to be in the movie and then at the bottom it says all of this is in the movie <laughs> that fucking sketch is so fucking funny
0: yeah I, that reminds me of one of the lines that sticks out in my head about gremlins too is they come in electric too
1: they do now Wow, and
0: yeah. it's an electric gremlin yeah it's like what the fuck
1: so yeah like i love gremlins too, but it is absolutely like Looney Tunes satire insanity that is like completely tongue in cheek making fun of the first movie and of course the studios have been threatening to make a third one for years and years and years and who knows if that's ever going to like see the light of day Warner and AT&T are like doing everything they can to get HBO Max off the ground so I wouldn't be surprised if they like really throw some money at this show And try to force it through to like get it on the air one way or the other.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I am glad that Joe Dante is being included in some way, shape, or form. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because again, a Gremlins three. As much as I would love to see more Gremlins, and as much as I think you could do all kinds of things with Gremlins and go in all kinds of different directions, and the first movie proves that you really can make them scary. You know, you could do so much with Gremlins, but it's just one of those things where like i'm just so wary that like i would rather just not ever have a gremlins 3 than have a gremlins 3 that just ends up anything not amazing you know like a mediocre gremlins 3 is a Gremlins 3 that, like, I just wish we didn't have it all. So, like, yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm wary of, like, the entire idea of, hey, okay, we need to do Gremlins, we need to do Gremlins. Like, no, nah, do you really, you know? Like, do we really need more Gremlins? It's
0: one of those things where I'm surprised and a part of me is disappointed that there's not more of this franchise. But then at the same time, a part of me is also, like, going back to, like, The Matrix of just, uh, after the second and third one, did we really need more Matrix? Yeah. And I want to go back and watch Gremlins too soon um, because I do remember enjoying it when I watched it but I also do remember it going way into the like you said the crazy looney
1: tunes leaning way more into that Uh, but it does the best way yeah it does in the best way yeah so
0: I uh I do want to watch that but it's like how much further can you make it without it either the only other way I could think that they could do it to keep it fresh is like lean heavily way more back into the horror and darker nature but I think gremlins does need that comedic aspect to it all the time it
1: does yeah and needs both
0: the gremlins themselves are both terrifying and
1: fucking hilarious all at the same time yeah that's the great thing about them yeah you definitely have to have both sides of that coin to make it work certainly so and the thing is it's gonna take just the right writer to make that work it's gonna take just the right director to make that work it's gonna take just the right cast to make that work there's just so many things that go into it that they're fighting an uphill battle the entire time trying to make anything more for this series in my opinion at least but you know whatever we'll we'll see where it goes from there but yeah I mean that's pretty much it you know and what the fuck can we say about gremlins that hasn't been said to death at this point you know yeah. So I yeah. think it was fun for both of us to like revisit gremlins and this is a movie that I enjoy watching every holiday anyway and even though this year is really fucking weird I still enjoyed my Christmas gremlins visit this year so It was worthwhile. I mean, it, it really is. It's a perfect horror
0: movie for Christmas time. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think Black Christmas is a perfect horror movie for Christmas time as well.
1: But but you can watch Gremlins with your grandparents and your kids. The whole family can watch Gremlins together. Exactly. And have a great time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I, I don't know what else there is to say. I, I just have a lot of fun. Again, a uh, hot take. I think this is Spielberg's best movie and he didn't even direct it.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I think this is a good one to like in the year on. This is our last for 2020 good. Good fucking riddance twenty twenty and you know, much like this movie, this whole entire year, like everything that we were told not to do that was clearly spelled out for us. Everyone was still just too fucking dumb and careless and selfish to avoid making those exact mistakes. So this movie is like a good encapsulation to this entire goddamn year of just fucking up that I think it's probably the best way that we can end this fucking year and move (laughs) on. On to something new in uh,
0: 2021. A part of me wishes a fucking wave of gremlins just came and fucked everything up and then we could just
1: start 2021 picking up the pieces fresh. Yeah. Well, you, you see like all the memes about like, okay, cool, what's it going to be this month? And it's literal aliens that are just like, okay, cool, we're about to go on, guys. I'm so nervous. We need <laughs> yeah. gremlins to just finish this fucking year off and let's be done with it. Yeah, so, I mean. We figured that would be the best way for us to end our show this year. So, yeah. Merry fucking Christmas. Happy everyone. holidays. All that jazz. Have a happy goddamn new year, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. we'll see
0: yeah we'll see you next year so with that we are watch if you dare a horror movie podcast hosted by myself the coward and aaron the movie monster boy um you can find us at all the major pod catchers itunes stitcher spotify amazon all that stuff we are at watch if you dare on twitter and facebook our spotify playlist is pinned on our twitter profile so just go to our page there and you can follow the link speaking of music shout outs to your little brother jesse mansfield for the bumps at the beginning and end of each of our episodes support him at party gator get some good music throw him some bucks and once again we wish you and yours uh happy holidays stay safe and all that
1: jazz please stay safe please stay safe please stay safe please stay safe of all the times in this entire fucking year like please stay safe right now for all that is good we are gonna take a break again like we did last year so we will skip having an episode right at the beginning of the year but we will aim to have one out at the end of january it's a nice time that we can kind of like take it easy for the holiday season and wind down a little bit and for me to get through the rough patch of uh work and uh just that way we can kind of focus on life for a little bit but we will be back in 2021 we already know exactly what movie we're gonna do and it is gonna be a shit show so there we go um yeah any last words derek
0: aaron whatever you do don't give sally water do not feed her after midnight don't expose her to the light sure that's fine whatever oh
1: shit i knocked over my water fuck sally yum yum